Welcome in the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bren. I go by SEC Michael on Twitter. And maybe we got a show lined up for you guys. We got all kinds of news and notes across the SEC. And this one, just warning you, hope you guys are in the mood for some coordinator talk because we got a deep dive on SEC Offensive and defensive play callers and the job they did this past season officially graded from our buddy Adam McClintock, the CFB professor. Uh, Some really fascinating stuff. We also got grades for a lot of the coordinators that were recently hired. So going to do a deep dive on all of that. Some really unique stuff. You're not going to hear this anywhere else. But before we get into that, Like I said, news and notes around the SEC. And, hey, Georgia's the king for a reason, right? So we got to start right there in Athens. Just real quick, a couple big-time players. No surprises here, but since we last recorded, I think this has all been officially announced. Jalen Carter, the outstanding defensive lineman, has declared for the NFL draft. Maybe the top overall pick now that the Chicago Bears got the first overall pick. And they got a quarterback already. Kaylee Ringo has declared their outstanding corner and tight end Darnell Washington. All three of those players have declared for the NFL draft. And (laughs) that should give Kirby all the ammunition he needs to tell his team they're going to go 7-5, even though they're going to be preseason number one next season, Georgia Bulldogs. Again, losing Jalen Carter, Kaylee Ringo, and Darnell Washington to the NFL draft. Again, all those were expected, but now made official. Give a little hope to the rest of the SEC East heading into next season because they'll need it with uh, Georgia quickly developing it into a dynasty under old Kirby. But speaking of hope, in the SEC South Carolina, you got the ultimate dose of hope this week. Steven and I were joking as we were recording. Spencer Rattler had not yet made his decision. Well, he's made it now. He's back for another season in Columbia. I thought this was the right move for him. Apparently was uh, not completely satisfied with the draft grade he got. So he's back, teamed up with Juice Wells, who we've not really hit on since he's made his announcement. He is returning to South Carolina next season, giving the Gamecocks potentially the best one-two combo at quarterback, receiver, that connection next season. And we really started to see Spencer Rattler come along late against Tennessee and Clemson, of course, two biggest upsets in college football among them last season in back-to-back weeks. And a lot of that had to do with Spencer Rattler and Juice Wells and that connection now under Dow Loggins, new offensive coordinator, comes from an NFL background, will be able to give Spencer Rattler hopefully some better coaching and development. Although, hey, I know it's popular to bash Marcus Satterfield. Wait till you you see the grades we got for the offensive and defensive coordinators in the SEC. Maybe, maybe some apologies, dude. To Marcus Satterfield. We'll get to there in just a second. But back to South Carolina. This gives you hope. 
already getting buzz as a preseason top 25 team. I would put Carolina firmly in the top 20 now that we know Spencer Rattler and Juice Wells are back. A lot of momentum. If you thought last season, last offseason was the offseason of hype for them Gamecocks, you ain't seen nothing yet because they're going to keep getting hyped. More and more people, as they look at the schedule, see what South Carolina did in those final two regular season games. And I'm just telling you, there's going to be dark horse South Carolina to be the main competition of Georgia to win the East. People are going to say it. I'm not saying it, at least not yet. But that's going to be out there now that Spencer Rattler and Juice Wells coming back year three under Shane Beamer. We keep getting better and better and better. Now, that's on the bright side. I want to start with the good news. The bad news? Let's kick it on down to Gainesville where, man, the circus continues. It's not really even Billy Napier's fault. But, you know, part of the reason I didn't even record yesterday because I wanted to see how this played out. We still don't have an answer exactly on how this has played out. But if you don't know what I'm talking about, five-star quarterback signee Jaden Rashada has not arrived to campus. And it's bad. There's been conflicting reports all about this. But here, basically the deadline, as I understand it, is Friday for Rashada to show up. All the rest of Florida signees have showed up. There was a delay, of course, during the uh, the first day of the early signing period when those names were coming in. Rashada was the last one to come in. Billy Napier even delayed his national signing day, early signing day, whatever you want to call it. He delayed his press conference waiting for Rashada to sign on the dotted line. They're not allowed to talk about these prospects until they're officially signed. So he did sign, but he's not yet arrived. And... Depending on who you believe, I mean, some people saying Rashada wants out of his national letter of intent. His father has come out and said that's not true, but his father has also not clarified why his son is not on campus and what is the delay. It's not a delay with academics. That was a a popular rumor when this all started. That's not the case. Here's how I hear it. And again, this is not on Florida. It's not on Billy Napier. But promises were made, financial promises. The Orlando Sentinel is reporting $13 million promised to Jaden Rashada. And you may be sitting here saying, what the hell, $13 million for a high school quarterback? And I'm not saying that number is accurate because I, I honestly don't know. But it's not quite – when you, you hear those numbers, it's staggering. I get it. But it's not like they're just dropping off $13 million to them. How that would work out – that's probably over a four to five year period. And if it's four years, it'd be something a little over $200,000 a month payment he'd get. Again, I'm not confirming that because I don't, I've not heard that till the Orlando Sentinel reported it. But apparently, the financial commitments that were promised are not being delivered. And that is. The issue here with Jaden Rashada. And again, why I say it's not Billy Napier, it's not Florida. That's at issue. For those that don't know, I think you assume Texas A&M, Tennessee, Miami, Nebraska, Auburn, on and on and on. You assume these schools are paying it, but that's not the way it works. Florida cannot write any prospect a check. They just can't. 
It's, it has to come from the collective, and the collectives are not part of the school. So a collective can make you all the promises in the world and then fa fail to have the money to pay you. And that's essentially is what is happening here as, as I understand it. And they cannot afford to pay what they promised. And I think that's why there's a hiccup. And they're trying to get this worked out. And again, they can talk to Florida. They can talk to Billy Napier all they want. But their hands are tied behind their back because they've got nothing to do with the payments or the NIL. They can't communicate with the NIL and say, hey, this is a guy we're after. This is another guy we're after. This guy should be your highest priority in NIL, so to speak. So you can do that. But you cannot get Billy Napier on the phone and say, hey, we're they didn't make the $200,000 payment. And I'm just making that figure up. But they missed the payment this month. What's the deal? Billy Napier can't do anything for you. It's the collective that you had to deal with. And throwing another wrench into this, it, schools – doesn't it doesn't have to be one collective you can have unlimited collectives different collectives for different things for different athletes for different schools or the same school so this is a damn mess and it's awful for florida if he doesn't show up their quarterback room is already i don't want to say in shambles but they got jack miller who's played in the bowl games kind of saw what he was although it may not be fair to just call him out for that one performance. You got Graham Mertz that got worse as his career lingered on at Wisconsin. I've talked to people that said if he's their quarterback, they're in real trouble. So that's where things are at right now in Gainesville. As of this recording, Jane Rashada, no plans to show up at Florida, back on the open market, I assume, by this weekend. And... Hell, the dads come out and said, hey, we'll give it till Friday. And if, if Friday things don't change, you know, we're going to change our stance. So, I mean, it, it kind of feels like Florida's being held hostage here. Again, they can't do anything. It's the collectives and all the NIL. But, man, I hate to be dramatic, but the NIL could cost Billy Napier his job. I mean, it could be that serious. And I'm not saying today or tomorrow, but what happens if they don't have a quarterback next season and they win six games again or five games? Fans are not going to give a damn that the collective didn't follow through. There's not going to be excuses. There's no excuses in the SEC. You get it done or you don't. So it's pretty wild. And think about future recruits. If Jaden Rashada was promised things and they don't deliver, now Florida's out here on the recruiting trail. They say – Talk to our collective. They'll get you settled. You know, we it's not an inducement. You're not allowed to induce. I'm not saying anyone's inducing. But they work out deals with these collectives. And now they're going to say, well, what the hell? This guy was promised all this. I talked to Jane Rashad. He said he didn't pay. So can I trust you when I can turn around in Florida State, Miami, Tennessee, Georgia, Alabama? Their collectives are paying. They're not bouncing checks at those other schools, at least not that I'm aware of. But – Silver lining here. It's not all doom and gloom. Because LSU quarterback Walker Howard has entered the transfer portal. And you're saying, well, what the hell's that got to do with Florida? Well, Walker Howard, Louisiana native, number five quarterback prospect in the country a year ago, true freshman at LSU, got recruited by one Billy Napier when Napier was at Louisiana. And as Walker Howard became a bigger and bigger prospect, 
course, Louisiana fell off. But once there was a coaching change at LSU, I believe Walker Howard and Napier had some discussions. I know Notre Dame was in the picture, but ultimately stuck to his LSU commitment. Now he's back on the open market. And if Jaden Rashada's not showing up, you better believe Billy Napier and company got Walker Howard on the phone. Again, the number five quarterback prospect in the country this time last year. He's been in an SEC weight program. He's been studying an SEC playbook. Not a bad contingency or fallback plan, whatever the hell you want to call it. And who knows, with all this uh, NIL and drama and Rashad, in a long time, you know, going back to his recruitment, he was expected to pick Florida. At the 11th hour, he picks Miami. Then a couple weeks later, decommits Miami, flips to Florida. I mean, it's been one thing after another with this guy. And I'm not calling him out because, hell, I don't know the full backstory. He may be the next, I don't know, Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence. But if he's all this trouble and we got a touted prospect, borderline five-star quarterback that can come to your campus tomorrow, hmm. Let's see where Walker Howard goes. Apparently, TCU actively involved in his recruitment as well. So, hell, they just lost their offensive coordinator to Clemson. So, just something to keep an eye out on there. Real quick on Missouri, wanted to make this note as well. Man, they keep having defender after defender after defender announce they're coming back. Tyron Hopper, their best linebacker, he's the latest. Coming back to Missouri for another season, including the entire Secondaries featuring many NFL prospects are back. On the bad news, though, Trajan Jeffcoat, defensive lineman who had previously announced, hey, I'm coming back, one final run at Missouri, entered the transfer portal, and apparently he's headed to South Carolina to make up for the loss of Jordan Birch. So that would be a blow. It's not official, but uh, Trajan Jeffcoat in the portal, all SEC selection in the 2020 season. It's not quite lived up to that the, the two next seasons, but the way Missouri's defense has been progressing, that's a piece you'd want back. They're going to need help on the defensive line with some of their players going off to the NFL. But good news is Tyron Hopper, your best linebacker, who many suspected was off to the NFL, he's back for another season in Columbia. And since we last recorded, Kentucky has made it official. They've hired Rehired Liam Cohen, offensive coordinator to fix what was just a dreadful, dreadful offense. Steven and I, on the last episode, go back and check it out if you missed it. We graded Kentucky's offense as an F because it was. It was that bad, and that was supposedly with the first-round pick at quarterback, arguably the best running back in school history. Liam Cohen's getting paid to be Kentucky's offensive coordinator. $1.7 million he's going to make next season. $1.8 the following season and $1.9 on this three-year deal. So this has got to be the richest coordinator deal in Kentucky history. Check this out. Kentucky, they actually have three coordinators. They got Brad White, the defensive coordinator, and Vince Morrow, special teams coordinator. Between those three and Mark Stoops, Kentucky paying out 12 $0.9 million to just the head coach and the three coordinators just next season, almost $13 million. If that doesn't tell you things have changed in the SEC and the level of commitment it takes to win, I don't know what will. But <laughs> no pressure, Liam Cohen and 
company. You got to fix this thing right away because uh, no one's slowing down in the SEC. But after making this official, Liam Cohen met with the media. Comments on his return to Kentucky. Says his number one priority is fixing this offensive line and shares his thoughts on Devin Leary, the incoming transfer quarterback from NC State. Um, just being a part of the Kentucky culture again, you know, just coming back to a place that uh, truly didn't really want to leave uh, at the time. It was one of those decisions as a family that we felt as though um, we kind of had to take coming from a Super Bowl team and, and doing a lot of the things that they had success with and me obviously being there prior. Um, but we truly did not want to leave Lexington and uh, the opportunity to come back um, and coach for coach Stoops and be around these players and have an impact in you know, young people's lives was ultimately, you know, the decision to come back and do this at a high level and um, couldn't be more thankful. Hey, Liam, you, you said a second ago that you hadn't got to talk with a ton of the new players or watch their film. If you have uh, got to look on Devin Leary's film, you've got a lot out of Will Levis transferring in. What do you think that in your offense and in this flow of offense at Kentucky that you can bring out of Leary's skill set? And a second part of that, how do you feel like two guys you recruited, Barian and Dane, will help with those things? Yeah, Devin's a guy that you know, from from South Jersey, I've familiarity with a couple players that, you know, he's in that same area growing up, you know, in high school coming up. I know the type of kid that he is. Um, and, and he can throw the football very naturally different than will, like you would mention where, um, you know, each season, each offense, it's always going to be tweaked a little bit. Right. Um, you know, the way that the Los Angeles Rams operated in 2021 was extremely different than the way we operated in 2020 with Jared Goff versus Matthew Stafford. So, um, the quarterback does kind of, you know, depend on a lot of the things that you're going to do schematically. Um, I do believe that this guy can throw the football uh, as good as anybody in the country. And he wanted to come to Kentucky and obviously to win football games and have an opportunity to win an SEC championship, but also to be developed, you know, to be developed in, into a future NFL quarterback. And he knows that he needs to jump under center a little bit and do some of the things that he hasn't done um, in his career yet up to this point in order to have some more comfort going into the play at the highest level of football. So <clears throat> I think we're all on the same page in terms of that dialogue, what we're trying to get accomplished in terms of his development and how that can relate to the other players on the offensive side of the ball. But it is a lot of this is going to be about Devin and what he's comfortable with. It's his last year of football. And I'd be crazy to walk in there and say, this is what you're doing it. This is how you're doing it. Um, when maybe he's completely uncomfortable doing some of those things. So I do believe it's going to be a collaboration, some of the things that he was successful with in his past, but also some of the things that we know we need to do in order to operate in the SEC. Um, and then, yeah, the receivers, some of the young talent. Um, I mean, shoot, I think about Ramon Jefferson. I recruited him coming out of Maine, you know, coming out of high school. So there are some familiarity with some of these guys that, uh, have been able to be in you know, contact with and have a prior relationship with, which helps. Um, it just helps knowing their skill set a little bit, maybe what makes them tick. How, how do they get them to practice harder? How do we get them to play harder? How do we get them to do things, um, you know, that aren't just surface area, you know, surface level uh, of the game of football and, and trying to be a little bit more relationship driven, 
understand these guys, but couldn't be more excited to work with some of those young talent, you know, young talented dudes that we can get after a little bit and see what they're worth, you know? Hey, Liam. So when you weren't here this past year, obviously the offensive line uh, had their struggles. From what you've seen so far, just how important is it to get that unit back on track? And when you were here, what were your impressions of guy, guys like uh, Jagger who played a lot this past year and uh, getting Kenneth back? Uh, that's the number one priority, you know, when, when we get there is um, diving into that, you know, into that position group, both personnel wise, schematically, fundamentally, technique, uh, attitude, um, demeanor, uh, all of that is, is, is it needs to get, you know, dove into really quickly when we get there, because I do remember, you know, the first time that I came, um, that was kind of the unit that um, I never really worried about. I never really worried about if they were going to come to play. I never worried about third and one, not getting a first down. Um, I just, it was never something that crossed my mind when I got there and we had experience now it was different. You know, we had three players on that, you know, offensive line that, uh, went on to play in the national football league. So, uh, one's obviously starting. So, you know, those things are different. There's a different, you know, set of experience, different personalities in that room. But, um, I do, you know, Jagger was starting to come on. I remember at the time we were excited about his development, Horsey with the flexibility that he's been able to show playing multiple different positions and having a ton of game experience. So, um, but it, it's a room, it, it's a unit that we need to address and address quickly when we get there, because, um, you know, really the offensive line, if you think about it, that's a third of your, uh, more than a third of your, you know, your unit on a play to play basis. And if those five aren't on the same page, don't have the right mentality, or aren't, you know, doing what they're supposed to do, it's really hard to have success as an offense, no matter who's around them. So that is, um, it's an exciting challenge, but it's definitely a challenge that we need to get after. And that wasn't the only official offensive coordinator hiring we got this week in the SEC, because Mississippi State hired App State offensive coordinator Kevin Barbe. Barbe had a good stint at Appalachian State, Last season, they scored 61 on North Carolina in the opener. Remember, they went on the road and beat Texas A&M in College Station, 17-14. They beat Troy, 32-28. And you may say, well, what the hell? Who cares about that? Troy went 12-2 last season. So this is a guy that we'll get to his ranking here. Top 30 offensive play caller, according to these metrics I'm about to cite. And our buddy Dave Bartu. I'm reaching out to him. He's going to be on the show next week. He said, Mississippi State, the only top 25 team to be in the bottom 45 in total explosive play rate. Not a lot of explosive plays for them Bulldogs last season. Kevin Barbe, top 35 in explosive play, play rate at Appalachian State. So, Zach Arnett clearly wants to see that improved, and he got – Probably one of the best candidates out there to make that happen. Someone that was coming, willing to come join his Mississippi State staff that's going to look completely different than it did last season. One final thing here before we get to these coordinator grades. Eli Drinkwitz met with the media this week to discuss Kirby Moore, the new offensive coordinator. Fascinating stuff here from Eli. Really liked it. And again, a hire of an offensive coordinator simply had to be made 
because Missouri just was not getting it done on that side of the ball. And according to O'Eli, he saw it himself. He was too focused on the offense, not as focused as he should be on other tasks, including, I thought this was fascinating, recruiting, and not just recruiting high school and transfer prospects, but recruiting his own roster. You got to recruit your own roster, 365. Otherwise, guys are going to jump into the portal. So let's kick it over to Eli discussing the hire of Kirby Moore, who he ranks pretty high in these uh, offensive play caller rankings as well. And then going back and evaluating what we're doing offensively, uh, it just came uh, very clear to me that uh, the requirements of a head coach um, were, were causing me not to have full focus on the offense, and I needed to hire somebody who could come in and – um, understand the vision that we have for offensive football, the vision that we have for our program, uh, and then go score some more points. All right, because at the end of the day, we got to score more points uh, in order to be successful in this league. And so, well, a lot of coaches say it does take a couple years of sitting in that seat to understand how to budget time and everything. So, what does this <laughs> free you up to do during the week? Recruit, raise money for NIL, um, oversee the relational aspect. You know. In 2019 and 2020, when I was first here, recruiting was just about recruiting prospective student athletes, and you're only signing 25. Now you have to recruit everybody in your building, coaches, players. Uh, you got to recruit boosters. You got to recruit fans, and so that's a large majority of my time, as far as uh, specifically in the last two years. And I think I think everybody's feeling that now. I mean, I, I love coaching quarterbacks, and I love uh, the designing of plays and calling plays and there's really nothing better Kirby will tell you than than Monday seeing something on film practicing all week and then calling it in that perfect spot you know and it scoring a touchdown is I mean that's as good an adrenaline rush as there is so I'm going to miss that part of it um, absolutely but at the same time I ask our guys all the time to embrace your role and put the team first and at the end of the day that's what I needed to do as the head coach uh, embrace what I need to do to help our team be successful. And, um, you know, I was adamant that I wasn't going to do it unless I found somebody who could do it better than me. And uh, I know Kirby. Uh, I know how hard he's going to work. Uh, I've seen what he was able to do. Um, he's faced adversity. I think the, the games that I really wanted to watch and evaluate were the games against Power 5 opponents when maybe they were a little bit outmatched from a scheme standpoint. I wanted to watch when it wasn't going good. How did he respond? I mean, you look at the game against San Diego State, down 10, maybe even 13, with about five minutes left to go in the game. And, and to, as a coordinator, to have your back against the wall, not playing good, and figure out how to call plays and move the ball. You know. Uh, really well against Washington State, really well versus Oregon State, really well versus USC, and, and uh, you know to to play the championship game the way they did, um, you know from an offensive standpoint, I was very impressed. You know, one thing that I failed to mention was just the amount of championships that that uh, Coach Moore's been around. I mean, he's been a, a champion as a player, uh, as a coach, and uh, I feel like he's got the the criteria that we're looking for. So I really appreciate the fact that Drink sees there's an issue and is working to correct it. Because believe it or not, a lot of these coaches won't even go that far. They're the boss. What they say goes. They got where they got because they're an outstanding football mind, offense or defense, not very flexible. 
and that'll kill you. So at least Eli is making the steps to correct these issues, and he had to do it based on these offensive play caller grades we got from Adam McClintock, the CFB professor. Head on over to his Patreon page, some outstanding stuff. You may be asking yourself, how good or poor was my team's offensive and defensive play callers last season? Let's break it down, starting with overall grades, which are based purely on the performance of the offense. Depending on how well your offense does, that's how good your play caller grade is. And also, we have offensive play caller grades adjusted for talent which is critical that's a key difference adjusting for talent which ranks a play caller's performance based on what is expected versus the talent he has versus the talent he's facing on an opposing defense if that makes sense and this should be no surprise why this guy's going to be getting a pay bump pretty soon josh heupel number Two in the entire country, number one in the SEC, rated as the nation's number two play caller last season and number two adjusted for overall talent. I mean, it's no surprise. You just look at Tennessee shattering offensive record books every season under Josh Heupel, and they just had an even better season, of course. That's how they got to 11 wins was just uh, mostly – on the, on the back of this incredible, incredible offense under Josh Heupel. Now, no surprise here as well. Rated as the second best offensive coordinator in the SEC. No surprise. Todd Munkin. Adam McClintock's got him graded as the number three offensive play caller in the country, but number five adjusted for talent. And that's just, I would assume, because Georgia's got – as good, if not better, talent than anybody in the country. So your performance is dictated, again, by having an advantage in talent. So Todd Munkin, second-best play caller in the SEC last season on the offensive side of the ball. Bill O'Brien, surprisingly, ranks third on this list and third, sixth in the country. But when you adjust that for the talent he had, this is where we got a problem. Drops all the way to number 24 in the country. When you got Bryce Young, when you got the talent that Alabama has, number 24 in the country is just not getting it done. And Saban, if he wants to be hard-headed and bring Bill O'Brien back, they ain't catching Georgia. I'll just put it out there. So Bill O'Brien adjusted for talent, rated as the number 24 offensive play caller in the country last season. Now, here's a stunner. This stunned me. It'll probably stun a lot of you. Marcus Satterfield, next, number four, offensive play caller in the ESCC, number 27 in the country. You adjust it for talent, though, number 31. So a slight knock given that, um, you know, he had some great receivers and running backs and an inconsistent but a big-armed quarterback. Marcus Satterfield, how about that? Number 31, offensive play caller in the country, adjusted for talent. And that's why, understandably, South Carolina fans were ready to see him go, but Dow Loggins, no guarantee he'll be an upgrade, at least according to Adam's numbers here. Now, how about this? Billy Napier, ranked as the number 39 Offensive play caller in the country. Number 51, though, adjusted for talent. So, 
really took a step back there with, uh, you know, I, I realized they didn't have weapons at receiver. At least the ones they did have got banged up throughout the year. Just never really put the pieces together there with Anthony Richardson. And they did have a strong running game. Solid offensive line. Got to credit that staff for getting that offensive line together. But Billy Napier rated as the number 51 offensive play caller adjusted for talent last season. But cemented in the top half of the SEC. So if if I'm a Florida fan, I'm sitting here saying, Billy Napier, there's been some critique of him as a play caller. Top half of the SEC in year one. That ain't bad. He's even up rated higher than number 47 overall in the country. Lane Kiffin, who adjusted for talent, fell all the way back to the number 56 play caller in the country. And that's awful. And you started to see it late in the season. Obis uh, offense, you know, the wheels fell off just like the, the defense fell off too. But we got to do better than this, Kiffin. The money you're getting paid one of the top offensive minds in the country. They got the running game going. Maybe just didn't have the weapons. Jackson Dort still got a long way to go. But rating as a number 56 offensive play caller adjusted for talent, when you have the reputation as a top five offensive mind, that ain't going to cut it. But I guess Ole Miss thinks differently. He gave a $9 million contract for next season. But, hey, we got to do better than that because – if we're Ole Miss, how are we going to reach the top? It's going to be because Lane Kiffin and his ability to dial up some plays, which uh, according to Adams' numbers, were not there this year. Again, number 56 in the country adjusted for overall roster talent. Now, number 51 in the country, Kendall Browse, he also fell to number 57 with adjusted for roster talent. But this is right in the middle of the road. For the SEC, not terrible, not great. Kendall Browse, got to do better than this. This kind of leads, you know, some of these Arkansas fans that that hate Kendall Browse. I don't personally get it, but there's some credence to this if you're saying our offensive coordinator's middle of the road. But there are some worse guys on this list, no doubt. So it'll be interesting, particularly now that TCU's open, if they give a call to Kendall Browse. He said he's committed. And I think Arkansas is a better job than TCU. So we'll see. But uh, number 57 overall for Kendall Browse, adjusted for overall talent. That's got to pick up with Rocket Sanders and, of course, K.J. Jefferson back next season. Number 63 overall, Mike Leach, also finished 64th for overall roster talent. So this is kind of what I was referring to. We love Mike Leach. One of the greatest of all times, no doubt. But the offense had kind of stagnated there in Starkville. And it's been the defense, I think, that's kind of been carrying that program. So we'll miss Mike Leach dearly. But, uh, you know, number 64 in the country, adjusted for talent, not great overall. The Pirate. Man, I'm just not going to say anything bad about old Mike Leach. Number 49 overall in the country, Mike Denbrock, LSU offensive coordinator, but falls drastically when you rate it for talent. Number 77, adjusted for talent. LSU's got all the talent in the world. I know it was, you know, putting so many pieces together, star players in and out of the lineup, 
having babies. <laughs> Can't play that day. Offensive line was a train wreck. But, uh, you know, I think this this ranking, again, these are not opinions. This is just data. Mike Denbrock, number 77 in the country, adjusted for roster talent. I feel like he did a better job than this, but, you know, there was a lot of games they kind of eked by, if we're being honest. So maybe uh, Mike Denbrock, if LSU is going to realize the potential that they're already getting hyped up for, we got to do a lot better job on the offensive side of the ball, maybe rely a little less on Jane Daniels and his legs and just the magician he was back there. Number 77 in the country. Not a great debut for LSU's offensive coordinator, according to these numbers. Now, number 78 in the country, Eli Drinkowitz, and adjusted for overall talent, 89th. So, this goes back to say Kirby Moore is going to earn his paycheck down here in Missouri. Just, <laughs> you can't have a, you're supposed to be an offensive mind, and you're, you're nearly got the number 90 offensive play caller in the country that ain't gonna cut it and again credit drink for realizing there was an issue and working to correct it because they desperately needed it there now i won't spend a lot of time on this guy because we're, we're over and done with them but uh auburn's offensive coordinator eric casal no surprise number 95 in the country adjusted for overall talent that's just god awful joey lynch the vanderbilt offensive coordinator Number 96, I mean, Auburn and Vanderbilt should never be neck and neck here adjusted for when we're talking play callers, but that's that's what it was, and that's why the Auburn guy's out of a job. Another guy, speaking of out of a job, Rick Scangarello, number 88 overall offensive play caller in the country, adjusted for talent, knock him back 10 more spots, number 98 Rated play caller, adjusted for talent. Credit Mark Stoops for realizing we had an issue and pulling the cord and getting one of the best in the SEC to return because uh, it may have not been long before uh, fans were calling for Mark Stoops' head if he brought Rick Scangarello back for another one. And hey, if you notice, there's one guy we haven't listed yet, and that's for a reason. He's number 93 in the country, number 109, adjusted for roster talent. And that's my man Jimbo Fisher, just so awful, so, so awful. But credit him, again, we'll credit these other guys, we'll credit Jimbo, bringing in Bobby Petrino to fix this offense. I like to see that. <laughs> but, <laughs> man. Number 109 in the country. Had, I don't know why they put up with it down there in College Station other than that damn contract they've anchored themselves to with old Jimbo. Now, the new hires, great news for Auburn. Number 13, offensive play caller, Justin for talent, Phillip Montgomery at Tulsa. Based on these numbers, Auburn has aced it. I mean, he would rate number two, Number three, excuse me, in the entire SEC. Of course, he didn't do it in the SEC, so he's got something to prove, but that's a hell of a hire to go along with Hugh Freeze, who rated number 35 on this list. So if you got the number 13 and the number 35 offensive play callers adjusted for talent in the country, combine those, you should have one hell of an offense next season 
on the planes if they can get the most out of those players. Never a guarantee. But, man, they're killing it in the transfer portal. So Auburn should be an immediate turnaround on the offensive side of the ball this offseason on the planes. Now we were talking about the uh, new Mississippi State offensive coordinator, Kevin Barbe, number 27 in the country adjusted for roster talent. That's outstanding for Mississippi State's new play caller. Missouri's new play caller, Kirby Moore, he rated number 32. So again, not the best of the best, but far from the worst. So if I'm Missouri, I'm Mississippi State, and particularly if I'm Auburn, I'm ecstatic about where things are trending on the offensive side of the ball heading into next season. Now, defensive play caller ratings, these are pretty interesting. Didn't have a lot of good defense in the SEC according to these numbers, but leading the way, and I don't really know how they did this one because is it Kirby? Is it Will Muschamp? Is it Glenn Schumann? They've got it listed as Will Muschamp as the number four defensive play caller in the country last season, number eight adjusted for talent. Again, when you got all the talent in the world, you're probably going to get knocked a little bit for the adjusted for roster talent. But according to these metrics, Will Muschamp, number one defensive play caller in the SEC last season. The way that defense played, not surprised that Georgia's leading the way. Now, this is pretty fascinating. Pete Golding rated number two, number 12 in the country. But adjust for that roster talent, <laughs> drops all the way down to 31. And this... That's my critique of Pete Golding. All the talent in the world can't even rate as a top 30 play caller. I think that's why you got to go, brother. So we'll see if Alabama makes a move. There's all kinds of rumors that Pete Golding is headed to Ole Miss. And, hey, a top 31 play caller ain't going to cut it at Alabama, but that would be a major, major, major upgrade for Ole Miss. We'll get to their coordinators in just a second. How about this? This guy's one of the most underrated coordinators in the country. Brad White, rated as the number 27 overall defensive play caller. Dropped him a little bit here, number 40, adjusted for talent. But more often than not, Kentucky's defense was pretty salty this season. So I think Brad White, he's doing a heck of a job. Hell, he rates number three in the SEC defensive play caller ratings from last season. DJ Durkin, he actually rated number 18 overall, but number 43 adjusted for talent. So he's another one where at times A&M was pretty outstanding. But towards the tail end of the season, particularly during their losing streak, a lot of the times that defense started to falter. Remember some people questioning whether DJ Durkin would even be back at A&M. I thought that was a little over the top. But uh, number 43 overall adjusted for roster talent, DJ Durkin. Going to need that to be much better next season if the Aggies are going to be a dark horse in the West. How about my man Tim Banks here? He catches so much hell. Number 22 in the country, adjusted for roster talent. Significant drop, though, number 48. But again, you're rated as the fifth best defensive play caller in the SEC. Tim Banks is not the problem for Tennessee. It's depth, talent, pace. I mean, they're in the 
Orange Bowl, I mean, they, they had to face over 100 snaps, I believe. I think it was a record for most defensive snaps Tennessee has ever faced, yet they stood tall. So it's a tough, tough ask to be Josh Heupel's defensive coordinator, but Tim Banks did a hell of a job. Zach Arnett's next on the list, number 63 overall defensive play caller, but that drops to number 76, adjusted for overall talent. I thought he did an outstanding job, so this number did surprise me. Number 77, again, I mean, according to these numbers, there just wasn't that much good defense in the SEC, and maybe that's accurate just with the offensive fireworks we had from a lot of programs in the SEC. But Zach Arnett right there, middle of the road, also, right there with him, Blake Barnett, number 61 overall, but number 77 adjusted for talent. Again, that was also a little surprising, but, you know, you think back to Missouri, some games they got gashed, but they made a major, major, major improvement on that defensive side of the ball. So Blake Baker coming out of nowhere, finishing as a mid, middle-tier SEC defensive coordinator. I think that was a grand slam. I don't think Missouri could have asked for much more than that. Now, Ole Miss, sounds like both these guys are out. Maurice Crum, Chris Partridge, co-defensive coordinators at Ole Miss. They rated number 79 overall, adjusted for talent, defensive play callers in the country. That's a big drop-off, remember, from D.J. Durkin, who was there the year prior. Lane Kiffin promised changes will be made. Not seeing a lot of changes yet, but again, there's speculation. These guys are out. Pete Golding may be in. We'll see if that's the move Lane Kiffin makes. Cannot wait to see it. Clayton White finished number 84 as a defensive play caller. So he's one, you know, he's he's escaped a lot of criticism. Uh, but according to these metrics, that's that ain't good. His roster, I think, was lacking certainly depth. Had some good players, but not to the talent of a lot of these other SEC teams. So maybe we give Clayton White a little bit of a pass here. But again, number 84 defensive play caller adjusted for roster talent in the country with South Carolina's defensive play caller. And this one stunned me because I thought he did a hell of a job. Madhouse rated number 46 overall defensive play caller, but adjusted for talent number 92. I don't remember LSU's defense being that bad this season, but I guess – against some top-tier teams. I mean, Tennessee smoked them. Georgia certainly did. Texas A&M basically did whatever they wanted to them. So maybe I'm talking myself into Madhouse. You need to get your ass doing a better job. But uh, I think that this is one that could be one of the most improved defenses in the country next season, particularly how they're doing all these pieces they're adding via the transfer portal. Barry Odom, no surprise. <laughs> All the rest of these, these defenses rated in the 100s, Arkansas 103rd in the country, or Barry Odom rated as the 103rd defensive play caller adjusted for talent. Mm, that's awful. So, I don't know, was he checked out? He's checked into UNLV now, so <laughs> uh, according to these numbers, at least they've upgraded in that aspect, we'll get to that in just a second. Jeff Schmetting, again, not going to spend a lot of time on him. Fired at Auburn. He was number 106. No surprise. Now, this is not going to be a surprise, but at least to the fan base. Patrick Tony, who was 
Certainly not a fan favorite exiting the season for the Florida Gators. Ranked as the 113th defensive play caller adjusted for talent. That is just god-awful and rated 13th in the SEC. A little surprised Billy Napier didn't make a move here. I mean, this is big-time college football. This is his guy, though. He's been with him for a number of years. Obviously, he has confidence in him, but if he has another season like this, we got to make a move because this is just dreadful. You're only a couple slots higher than Vanderbilt. Nick Howell, defensive coordinator, number 125 in the country, adjusted for roster talent. So quite literally, you know, a spot or two away from the worst in the country, Vanderbilt's defensive play caller is. Clark Lee, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe you got to start calling the plays or something because that ain't getting it done. And as for some defensive coordinators we got coming in here, I realize they were not calling plays in the SEC last season, but here's their grades. Ron Roberts from Baylor. He's the new defensive coordinator at Auburn. Rated number 83 defensive play caller adjusted for roster talent. And Travis Williams, number 87, the new Arkansas defensive coordinator, was at Central Florida. So, you know, obviously not elite numbers here, but based on what these uh, programs had last season, would be an upgrade compared to <laughs> the, the the guys they had in place that are no longer there, one to promotion and one to getting fired. But, hey, hopefully I didn't bore you to tears with all those numbers, but I thought fans would appreciate it. Now that you, now that you have this information, again, this is not biased takes. These are not just his opinion. This is how well these offenses and defenses played, and particularly how they played, with the talent they had to work with going up against the talent they faced to give you a clear picture of how well or poorly these offense and defensive minds called plays this season. I thought that would be some valuable information heading into the offseason. But, hey, that's going to do it for this episode of the show. We'll be back. Should have a show every week next week we're gonna be fully loaded here on that sec podcast got a number of ideas got some guests coming on Uh, i've got a really fun show lined up on monday we're gonna be staying with the content and next week also the transfer portal closes so the the window there we're gonna recap winners and losers of all that so stay tuned so be on the lookout for all that and a lot more this offseason i appreciate each and every one of you for hanging out we'll catch you on the next one Hey, buddy, this beer's for you, Mike, and Cousin Shane. That SEC podcast loves the Pirate, and the Pirate loves that SEC podcast. Hail State.